Hello everybody, welcome to the first NS screencast. This one is on Objective-C Basics. Now Objective-C is an object-oriented, fast, dynamic language built on C, and it is what you'll use when you want to build Mac and iOS applications. But it is a little strange, especially if you started out on a different programming language. So hopefully, this screencast will teach you what the differences are and how you can be most effective in it. First, let's talk about Objective-C classes. A class is separated into two parts, a .h and a .m file, namely the interface and the implementation. In the interface, you'll define a block here called interface foo. Inside of that, you'll declare all of your properties and methods, and then end it with the at n symbol. In the implementation, you'll do a similar thing, except this time you're going to implement the method bodies. When you compile these down, your interface files will be visible to any other classes, but your implementation will be compiled and hidden. Next, let's talk about Objective-C methods. Now, they are a little bit strange to look at. We'll deconstruct one here. The first symbol you see is the dash sign, and that signifies an instance method. Next, surrounded in parentheses, is the return type. In this case, it doesn't return anything, so we indicate void. Finally is the method name, logout. Notice we use camel case notation, and we follow this up with a semicolon. Here's a more complicated example. This time we see a plus symbol, which indicates a class method. Users familiar with C-sharp or VB.net can think of this as static or shared, but in a C-based language, static has a different connotation, so we call it a class method. Next is the return type, user pointer. Finally, the method name, user with name. This time the method takes an argument, so we type a colon followed by the argument type in parentheses, ns string star. That is a pointer to an ns string instance. And then finally, the argument variable follows the argument type. Here's an even longer example. Again, it's a class method. It returns a user. The method name is user with first name, last name. It is the leftmost parts of all of the colon symbols for each of the arguments. Then we have the argument types specified in parentheses here. Both of them are NS string pointers. And finally, we have the argument variables, first and last. Now this is a mouthful, and if you were to tell your colleague what this method is called, you would say user with first name, last name. That is also known as the selector, which we'll get to in a minute. Objective-C can be a wordy language, and this is a pretty long line, and depending on your font size, you may want to line break these, especially if you have more arguments. The common Objective-C convention is to line break for each argument and line it up on the colon symbols. Next, let's talk about how to call Objective-C methods. Here, we will call user logout, and surround that in square brackets. In Objective-C, this is akin to sending the logout message to the user instance. The leftmost part you will call the recipient, and the rightmost part is the message. Now, under the hood, this gets translated into a C-based call called objc message send. The first argument is the recipient, the second is the selector, and the third is any arguments passed in. You don't really need to worry about too much of this now, but it can be handy to understand how Objective-C works under the hood.
Here's an example of calling user with name on the user class, passing in an argument, which is an NSString instance with the contents gem. NSStrings are handy strings that have plenty of operations and none of the ugliness of C-based strings. You indicate an NSString instance by prefixing the quotes with an at symbol. Here, this returns a new user instance, and so we're going to hold on to that in a pointer called user. Here's an example of calling a similar method, but this one has two arguments, user with first name, last name. For each argument, you pass in the colon and the value for that argument. So for first name, we're passing in Jim. For last name, we're passing in Halpert. Again, we're storing this in a variable called user, which is user pointer. Next, let's talk about working with objects. Now, Objective-C on the desktop has a garbage collection available to it, but not on the iPhone. A new tool was released recently called ARC, or Automatic Reference Counting, which makes this a lot simpler. Now, ARC is only available for iOS 5.0 and above, so if you want to target a lower device, you're going to have to understand how this works anyway. So I recommend learning how to do it the hard way, and then use ARC where you can. Here we're creating an NSMutableArray instance, first by calling the alloc method on the class, surrounding that in square brackets. The result of that is allocated memory for that class type. But it's uninitialized, so you then must call init on it. This is a common pattern you'll see everywhere in Objective-C, where you call class name alloc init in two sets of square brackets. That will return a new initialized NSMutableArray, and we're storing that in a pointer called array. Then we're going to call the addObject method on NSMutableArray, on the array instance, passing in item 1. Again, we're going to add another object called item 2. And then let's say we're finished with this instance. We need to release it so this memory gets cleaned up for us. So we call array release. Now how does that work? It does it through something called retain counts. When you alloc and init a class, the retain count is 1. Then you work with it, and when you're done, you call release. The retain count goes to 0. When the retain count goes to zero, dialloc gets called on that class for you as soon as the retain count reaches zero. You should never ever call dialloc yourself. Always use retain slash release. Here's an example of that in action. Say we want to work with an NSArray instance. The first class is going to call alloc init on that and get an NSArray with a retain count of one. Then say he passes it off to another class that class needs to hold on to a reference to this, and so he retains it. The retain count goes to 2. Now the first class doesn't need to work with the array anymore, but he can't destroy it, otherwise the other class will run into issues when he tries to use it. So some class will just release his copy of it. The retain count goes back down to 1. Finally, when another class is done with his, he will release it. The retain count goes to 0, and the runtime calls dialloc on this array, and it gets destroyed. So the first rule of memory management is methods named init, new, or copy return an object with a retain count of 1. Since we called init in the previous two examples, the retain count was 1. And you must release these when you're finished. So this brings up an interesting point. What about factory methods? Now factory methods can be very helpful in simplifying your code. 
Here we have a method called label with text that takes a string and returns an initialized label with that text. We call alloc init on UI label. We set the text to it, and then we return it. However, we are done with our instance, but we didn't release it. In this case, we're going to be returning a label with a retain count of one, but the caller isn't going to know that because of the first rule of memory management. What we'd like to do is release it before we return it. However, the retain count will go to zero, and the runtime will deallocate the label before we have a chance to return it. This is where auto-release comes into play. Instead of returning the label, we just return label auto-release, which returns the same instance, except this time the label has been added to an auto-release pool that the runtime manages. During the next cycle through the run loop, the auto-release pool is drained and any objects inside of it get released. This is a good way to make sure that an object will be released later, but not during the current thread of execution. Here's how you would use this. In the same class somewhere else, we want to call this method, except we want these re the labels returned from this to hang around, and we want to own those, and we want to own the last retain count on that label. So we call self label with text hello, which calls the method above. It returns a label with a retain count of one, but is auto-released. And by convention, as an Objective-C programmer, I know this. And so since I want it to hang around, I want to retain it. So the result of self-label with text hello is wrapped in square brackets, and we send the retain we send the retain message to that instance, which will retain it. At that point, we own that instance, and we must release it when we're finished. So this is an amendment to that first rule of memory management. Any object received by methods other than init, new, or copy are understood to be auto-released. The second rule of memory management is, if you receive an object and intend to hold on to it, you must retain it. Any object you retain, you must also eventually release. This may be immediately after you're done working with it, or it may mean that you hang on to that instance for the life of your class, and then in, in the Dialic implementation of your class, you release any instance variables that you have not released so far. Here are some tips to make this a little bit more clear. If you're confused on whether or not you should call release, ask yourself these two questions. Did I create this object? If yes, then you need to release it. Did I retain this object? If yes, then I need to release it. In all other cases, you do not need to release it. So what happens if you get it wrong? Well, if you release too many times, it's pretty easy. The app will crash because you've sent release to garbage memory. And that will usually pinpoint the line of code where it happened, and it's pretty easy to fix. So the chances of this making it into a build you release to customers is pretty low. If you forget to release, however, the app will continue to work, and it will hide this problem from you, and you might never see it. But the result is it will leak memory, and enough leaked memory means your application will be starved for memory, and this is memory that can never be reclaimed until your application is shut down. This is also the reason why some apps in the App Store ask the user to reboot their device for best performance, because there are apps on your phone that are going to be leaking memory, and long periods of use mean that uh, that memory may be, uh, and after long periods of use, that may mean the other apps are, st are starved for memory. But don't worry, there's plenty of tooling to help you. In Xcode, there's a static analyzer that can show you if you're missing a retain or a release, 
or if you break the conventions of init new or copy and return an object that is not auto-released. Also, there's instruments, which can instrument the running application and tell you if any object is over-released or if memory leaks, and it can usually pinpoint the line of code where it happened. We'll cover these tools in a future screencast. Let's put these ideas into action. Here I'm in Xcode 4.2, and I've created a simple command line application where I can run it and see the output in this window below. Over here in the Groups and Files navigator, I'm going to click on the School App Group, and I'm going to right-click and say New File. We're going to pick an Objective-C class. The class name is going to be Student. And you can see here that it created a pair of files, student.h and student.m. Let's take a look at the student.h header file. Here they've imported some foundation classes. There's an interface declaration for the student class. It inherits from NSObject, which all objects in Objective-C will inherit from, and it has end here. Now we haven't declared any instance variables, properties, or methods here. If we flip over to the implementation file, we'll see that it imports student.h. And again, there's just no body here. So let's define our first method. Well, we want our student to have a name. So let's create an instance variable here. Instance variables are surrounded by curly braces. And you just list them out here. So I'm going to create an ns string. I'm going to call it name. Next, I'm going to create a method to get the name. Now, if you're familiar with Java, you might notice that their method names tend to prefer saying get name and set name. In Objective-C, it's similar, except the getters don't say get. They're just the name of the variable you're getting. So in this case, I'm going to create an instance method that returns NSString, and it's just going to be called name. Now, it's perfectly OK to have a method and an instance variable be the same name, but it can make it a little bit confusing on how you access them. The next method I want doesn't return anything. It's called setName, and it takes a parameter of type NSString, and that is called newName. Now that we've declared the things that we want to work with, we need to flip over to the implementation file. But first, I'm going to copy these onto the clipboard. I can easily switch between the header and the implementation file by holding Control-Command-Up arrow, and that will always flip me back and forth. Notice Xcode has given me a warning saying that this implementation is incomplete. And that's because we haven't implemented those two methods that we promised we would in the header file. So I'm going to paste in those two method headers, give them each a blank body. And now let's look at this method. What does it need to do? All it needs to do is return the name instance variable. For set name, it's a little bit different. We need to set the instance variable to be new name, except we want to now own this string, and so we must retain it. Now a common convention for strings, instead of retain, is to copy them. That way, when strings are created in this class, that its lifecycle is contained with this class. That's a little bit more advanced than you really need to know right now, but just for strings, you'll typically use copy instead of retain. If we do this, however, what happened to the old value that used to be a name? Well, at that point, it's abandoned, and you'd be leaking memory. So we need to make sure that if name already had a value, that we release it. Now, you're probably already wondering, what happens if name is nil? Is this going to crash our program? And the answer is no. 
In Objective-C, nil is a no-op, so sending the release message to nil doesn't do anything at all. This is handy when you know it exists because you can avoid having nil checks in your program. At this point, we've called a method with copy, so we own this retain count for name. So somewhere else in the lifecycle of our class, we need to release it. For that, I'm going to implement a dialloc method. Now the first thing you should do in, when implementing your dialloc method is call superdialloc as the last line of the method. That makes sure that you're not going to forget to add it. And this allows the superclass to deal with its cleanup. And before that, you can deal with your cleanup. So now we have a student class that has a name property. Let's go back over to main.m and we're going to use it. Here we need to import this at the top. Now we can call student is equal to student alloc init. We can give the student a name. And just so that we can see that this instance is actually created, let's just go ahead and log it out. I'm going to say student colon percent at student. Now what this is is a format specifier. The format specifiers usually come in the form of percent and then some letter. So percent %d if you're going to substitute in an integer, percent %g or %f if you're going to do floats, percent %s for Unicode strings, percent %c for characters, and so forth. Most of the time, you'll be using percent %at, which is an Objective-C object. So basically, we're going to substitute an Objective-C object into this string and output it. Now we need to make sure, since we're done with this student instance, that we go ahead and release it. And now we can build and run the application. And we'll see at the bottom that it outputted a student. We didn't get anything very helpful other than the class name and the memory location. So how can we fix that? Well, if we go back over to our student object, NSObject defines uh, description method that you can override. So let's go ahead and override that here. We're going to override the description method and we're going to return the student's name. Now if I go back to main.m and run this again, you can see student is Bob. Now you may be wondering whether or not you have to go through all this trouble for every single getter and setter that you want. And the answer is no. I've done it here the hard way so that you understand how it works, but in the future, you'll just use properties. So let's go ahead and delete the instance variable and those two methods, and we'll declare a property here. Now we're gonna specify a couple of behaviors. One, non-atomic, because we don't need any sort of threading safety on this accessor, and we want copy semantics on our string. We're gonna call our property name, and then we're gonna flip over to the implementation file. Here, we can get rid of our two methods, and at the top, just underneath the implementation marker, we can say synthesize name. I still want my name, my instance variable to be underscore prefixed. So here I can specify what my instance variable name is by using equals. Now I have the choice of using my instance variable, or if I want to use my property, I can call it using method style by calling self name, 
or using Objective-C 2.0's dot notation. That will probably be most familiar to you. However, just know that that's calling the method name, and dot notation is definitely optional. If we go back to our main.m file, notice how we were saying student set name Bob as a method. This can be simplified a little bit by saying student.name is equal to Bob. These lines are equivalent, but eliminating a pair of square brackets can make this a lot easier to read. Let's go ahead and run the program, and we'll see that we get the same output. I hope you enjoyed the screencast, and I hope it gave you a little bit of a taste of what Objective-C feels like. It can be a little bit rough around the edges, but I have grown very fond of the language, and I think with enough time you will too. Thanks for watching.